Listen, this is not a motivational video, but this is probably the most important video you can watch during a time like this while the market tanked the way that it has. And everybody else is talking about, you know, the dreams, the Lambos, the Ferraris, the watches, the houses. This is the message you need to hear. I can show you my house. I can show you my savings. I can show you all that stuff. But I'm telling you, my life changed when I 27, 28 years old, I had a quarter million dollars in the bank, and I was driving a Ford Focus, and everybody thought I was crazy and I want to share this mindset with you. Odds are you're going to click off this video because you want to go get entertained. But those few of you that watch this, when 10 years from now the next market crash comes, you're going to sit there and say, thank God I paid attention to this video about how Pat had a Ford Focus at 28 years old. So stick around to the very end to get the PDF of today's notes, but let me get right into it on why today's message is very important. I'm 26, 27 years old. When I first started making money at 21, 22, I started buying nice cars. I'd go to Vegas, all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, I lost everything. I'm $49,000 in debt. I'm about to go back into the military. You've heard the story before. Then I get into insurance. I meet a man that all he talked about is, Pat, just trust me, have cash in place. If you do anything with me, go set aside cash. Now, my dad, for the longest time, always told me to follow and said, always have savings that nobody else knows about. He said, it's healthy for marriage, it's healthy for a man, it's healthy for business, it's healthy for you, period. Have cash set aside somewhere that I don't even know about, that your wife doesn't even know about, that nobody knows about because it gives you certain backing. So now, today's message is about business expenses that startups waste their money on, and a lot of people that are starting a business right now, maybe you're even an independent contractor, salesperson, a realtor, what insurance person. Maybe you started a small business for yourself with your partner. There's a lot of ways that you're gonna be tempted to waste money. I'm gonna share with you what things to look out for, and then the decisions on you to see what you do with it. So let's get right into it. Point number one, expensive office spaces. You will be tempted to get a very, very sexy office space because you think the office is gonna make you the money, the office is gonna make you nothing. Let me give you a story. First office lease I signed was in Granada Hills. It was right off the 105 freeway. On a meeting I was doing one day with my sales guys in the middle of a meeting, there was a drive-by shooting and boom, the shot comes from right behind me. There's a hole in the window on the back to my left and I'm looking at them like everybody's like, oh shit, what just happened? I'll go a little closer. I'm like, okay, there's something going on out there. Cops show up. Anyways, my first office was a regular office lease I picked up. And I took it from a guy who was a countrywide rep making $400,000 a year, started his own mortgage business. Boom! Mortgage hits a, you know, the mess they went through, similar to what's going on right now. This was 06, 07. I go into the office, it's empty. I took it over sublease. I saved 20% on the lease. Everything else, furniture, everything's about $40,000 worth of furniture. A $25,000 phone system was part of the negotiation that I got. I moved into that office. It was safe, it was cheap. I could afford it, we started the office space, and then boom, it took off within the insurance. So many times you'll be tempted to think, oh, if I only have a better office, sexier office, our guys are gonna be more excited, they're gonna be more this. When you're a startup, you just wanna make sure to stretch the dollar as much as possible, and the last thing you need is a sexy office space. Number two is overhiring. Let me tell you what I do when I hire somebody that's coming on board if I'm running a startup. So let's just say you're running a startup, or you're a new person, you're in sales, you became a broker, and you're running an office, or you're running a small little business that you're running, when I'm doing an interview with somebody that I bring on board, this is a question I used to not ask early on. Now I ask this question every single time. This is the question. And I say, hey, John, just out of curiosity, uh, you ever worked for a startup before? I, I never have. 
So typically when you work as like Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, yeah, I've typically worked for an established company. Okay, let me share with you the difference between a startup and the difference between a Fortune 1000 company. I want you to really think about whether you want to have this kind of a position or not. I said a Fortune 1000, you can come in, you clock in, you leave, and you're typically going to leave on time, if not a little bit even earlier. No one's going to take notice. No one's going to know. And say your typical job expectation is this much. You hit it, you're good. You'll get your 3 to 5% raise every year. Everything is good, safe, no one bothers you, right? And that's many people's jobs when they work for a Fortune 1000 company. When you work for a Fortune 1 million company or a 1 billion company, which is a startup, obviously you understand what I'm saying here, it's a startup. And here's how a startup works. It's nonstop, it's constant, you're wearing multiple hats, you may have one job, two jobs, three jobs. You may sit there and have a job description of what you're doing. Sometimes you may do two other jobs outside of this because it is a startup. So everybody's wearing different hats. One minute I'm wearing this hat, the other minute I'm wearing this hat, the other minute I'm wearing this hat, it's startup. Now here's the good, bad, and the ugly. The ugly is it's constant. The good is if you stick around a startup and you do something big, long-term, the big money's made many times by being part of a startup and you bring value to the company. But for you, which do you prefer? Do you want more of a Fortune 1000 type of a company where it's safe, it's secure, and it's quiet and nobody bothers you? Or do you want to be part of something where you have the pride that you built something big together? You'd be amazed how many people will just say, well, you know, I really have to think about this decision. You know what they're saying when they say that? That they don't want to be part of a startup. They want to go to a safe place. But you know how many times when I open, openly talk to people like this, you know what they'll say? Oh, I'm so bored out of my mind. I got a job at a Fortune 1000 company. I am so bored. Every day I go to work like, I don't care how much they pay me. My life is boring. I need some excitement in my life. I want to be part of a startup company. Phenomenal. Then let's go do something together. But I don't have the money to give you an expense credit card. I can't afford to give you the kind of salary others are paying you right now because this is how much money we have that we're working with. We've raised this much money and I can't overpay you. Are you okay with that? But in the back end, we can do X, Y, Z. Again, hiring prematurely or overhiring when you don't have the money nor the luxury and you need to manage the expectations upfront with the people you're hiring so they know exactly the kind of situation they're getting themselves into. Number three, the savior consultant. Avoid these guys. They'll come in and this is what they'll sound like. Oh my God. This is your business. Let me tell you my background. Here's what I did. For only $15,000 a month with a six-month contract, I'm going to be able to help your company get into all these different markets, and we're going to help this company do this, this, and you're sitting there saying, oh my God, guys, I found a savior consultant. This guy's going to take us to the next level. And you pay this guy $15,000 for six months. Nothing happens first month. You ask him in the sixth week, hey man, you know, I paid you the $15,000. What is really going on? Well, first month was really learning and we're kind of going through our needs analysis. The second month is this really you're going to start seeing the impact of what we do for you by month three or month four. If you've gone through this, you've heard this script before. Be careful with these savior consultants. Very careful. The way I hire a new consultant, this is how I do it. Let me give you the right script. Hey, uh, Johnny, I appreciate the fact that you're an incredible consultant. How much do you believe in what we can do here as a company? Oh, I fully believe you guys can pull it off if you guys do the right things. Fantastic. Here's what I'd like to do with you. I'd like to see if you really believe in what we're doing. I don't have a lot of money to stretch. I'd like to work with you on first month, $2,500. And on the second month, you know, $3,500. On the fourth month, on the third month, $4,500 and $5,500. And not a contract, but if you do me good and you hit these markers that you believe you can do by the ninth month, I give you a $30,000 bonus if you hit these markers. But I pay you by the ninth month because you've also helped grow the company in marketing and this and that and blah, blah, blah. 
You'll see how many times they'll go like this. Oh, oh, I, I, oh, oh, I can't do that. They're trying to tell you they were never going to do in the first place. Or they'll say the following. You know what? I understand what direction you're going. I can respect the fact that you're a startup and times are a little bit weird right now. I'm willing to work with you. That's fair because I'm confident in what our team's going to deliver. Salute. Let's do business together. But manage expectations with higher consultants from day one or else you're going to be wasting a lot of money. Number four, lavish employee perks. Let me tell you, a lot of times people are like, well, let me take these guys to a nice restaurant and let me do this and let me do that. Here's what I did, okay, to build a relationship and take care of my employees for the first about year and a half when I started my own insurance company in 2009. Every Tuesday night and every other Sunday, I would barbecue for you. But here's what I would do. I would go to local Vallarta, okay, and I would buy carne asada, okay, and I would buy chicken, uh, I like chicken uh, uh, thai, and I would marinate it with my own chipotle sauce, and I would put some beer, wine, and certain seasoning that I use, and certain Middle Eastern seasoning, and I would cook for you. That chicken would cost me 30 bucks, but I would bring it, and they would see me cooking for them. Just the fact that I'm spending time cooking for my guys showed a lot of support to them. They liked it, and I'm showing value in them. When you're small and you don't have a lot of money, you don't need to take people to high-end restaurants to impress them. Not at the beginning. That can come later on, but not at the beginning. Best way to do it, maybe you cook for them to save yourself that money and establish deeper relationships. Number five, buying expensive tools. Look, no matter what you're doing, whether it's going to be a HubSpot or you're going to be tracking your CRM or this or that, there's going to be so many different tools that you can buy. And you will be tempted to want to buy the highest model tool that you want to buy for whatever you're trying to pick up. For us, for insurance, I had the option to buy a quarter million dollar software versus a $100,000 software versus a $25,000 software. You know which one I picked. I went with the $25,000. Then we upgraded into the $100,000. Then we upgraded into a quarter million dollars. And then eventually we upgraded to the $10 million software that helped the company become a tech-enabled company. But don't be, don't sit there and say, oh my God, if we only had that software, we'd blow up. Totally get it. You may not be able to afford the top-of-the-line software they want, but start with what we have. And a lot of times when you work with a company, you can buy the shell and build up. But the biggest factor is if you know you're going to make your company win long-term, Get used to selling your partners of how valuable of a partner you're going to be if they buy into you. Meaning, you may, many times I would say, John, I can't afford to pay $100,000, but I'd like that software. Well, Pat, we can't afford to give it to you. Why don't you start with the $25,000 one? I said, I totally understand it. I, quite, to be honest, quite honest with you, $25,000 is even a lot for me. However, here's what I'd like to do with you. What's that? How about if we do $25,000 upfront and I get the $100,000 software, but 12 months from now, I give you another $25,000, and then two years from now, I give you another $25,000, and then three years from now, if this thing's going the way it's going, instead of paying you $100,000, by the 30, I pay you $125,000, meaning the last check is $50,000. And they'll sit there and they'll say, what is a, us giving a software anyways? It's not like we need more employees. He's not gonna be using more employees. He's not gonna, you know what, great. Here you go, take the $100,000 software with a three-year contract that by the end of the third year, instead of paying the $25,000, you pay $50,000, rather than getting $100,000, we got $125,000, but what did I get in return? I got the $100,000 software up front for only $25,000, and I was able to stretch the dollar and pay $125 over three years, so I saved myself money up front, which is when I need the cash the most, because if you go out of business by the second year, you're not going to have to do the whole thing. The person's taking a risk on buying into you, knowing you're going to be there long term, but you're also selling yourself to say, I'm going to be in business, and if I am, for your loyalty, I'm going to give you an additional $25,000. That's the point with the conversations you need to have, not necessarily the tools, 
but you need to sell this to people you're going to be partnering up with. Number six, business travel. Look, at this point, when I travel, I'm generally traveling in a private jet and life's a different life today. But here's what most people don't know about. Up until my 10th year of running an insurance company, I flew coach myself. I would fly coach. So this means we have millions of dollars in the bank and I'm still flying coach. And people are asking, why are you still flying coach? Now, don't get me wrong. When you fly coach a long time with American Airlines, you eventually get upgraded to business and first class. So eventually, when I became executive platinum for flying constantly six months out of the year, guess what happens? You're naturally going to be upgraded to first class without having to pay for it. But I went coach for a long time. Why? You know, because there's different philosophies here. Some people say you should drive, you know, fly private from day one because it gets your identity to realize you belong at the top and first class is the way to go. No problem. I sat there and I said, uh, you got about 200 flights a year. Your coach is going to be 450. First class is around 1500 to $2,000. $200,000, that's going to be $1,000 savings times 200. That's $200,000 in savings over the year. $200,000 in savings is four employees at 50 or one C-suite executive at $200,000. I'm good with it. Then I would take the $200,000 and look at the valuation of a company. If I did a 12 times EBITDA, 12 times 200, it didn't cost me $200,000. That was a $2.4 million expense to the valuation of the company. So somebody says, it's only $200,000. No, 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 no. It's $2.4 million on the back end because of EBITDA. So if you can't fly coach, and by the way, I'm 6'4 and a half, 245 pounds, sitting coach on four-hour flights and six-hour flights. So if I can do it, you can do it as well. But the reality is eventually when you do it right, you got savings in the bank. The last thing you're going to be thinking about is coach. You'll be first class and eventually be driving, uh, flying private. But for the longest time, you don't need to fly first class. Coach will save you a ton of money. Point number seven, control enthusiasm. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. If you're part of a company that's got 3,000 employees, how many negative people do you think work for that company if they got 3,000 employees? Some people will say, probably none. Well, that's a lie. If they got 3,000 employees, say 3% are negative, they probably have 90 negative employees. You know what these people do? Well, let me tell you, man, our vice president doesn't care about us. Look at the CEO. Look at the market. You know this is not going to work. You know we're going out of business. You know, it's just constant, right? When you're small, when you're big, you can't control negativity. You're going to have negative people working in a lot of different places, and they fake it when they see you. Well, guess what? When you're small, and it's only three or five or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 employees, you can't afford negative employees. You have to spot them early and have a, you know, come to Jesus type of a conversation with them, isolate it, and let them know this may not be the company for you in the most nice, polite way, and let them leave. But the worst thing you can do is just be like, oh, it's not a big deal. He's okay. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. The longer, I've done this many times, the longer you let this person stick around, the more people are going to quit with them when they quit. The sooner you isolate it and address it, the fewer people are going to go. Negativity cannot be tolerated when you're a startup at all by nobody when you're small. So listen, the biggest thing about this season is to think like a founder. And I did a video years ago on the qualities of a founder I want to share with you. But before I give you that video, I want to share with you these new hats that just came out because all I want you to be thinking about while you're going through the mess is the fact that future looks bright. These hats just came out, limited edition, in the middle. It's got value taming all over the place. It's got future looks bright here, future looks bright here. And the, and the value taming logo on the front, you can buy it in white, red or black to sport this everywhere you go so other value tainers when they see you 
They know which content you consume. If you want to order these limited edition hats, click here. And if you want to watch a video about the founder's mentality, click here to watch 20 qualities of a great founder. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.